chapter 1. If, if you're just looking at a pew Bible, you forgot your Bible, don't have a Bible, um, you can uh, open it right there to page 939. Our text this morning is going to cover the, the second half of the introduction. That is uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. But since it is part of the introduction, I would like to simply read beginning of verse 1 through verse 15. Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome." Well, last week, as we looked at uh, the first seven verses, we, we picked them up by, by way of just subject. We looked at Paul to see how he defines himself. He describes himself as a, a slave of Jesus Christ, one who has committed himself wholeheartedly to his master. Isn't that what a slave is? One who submits to the master. He called himself an apostle, one sent by Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel of God, this gospel that he was eager to preach. We looked at the scriptures which promised this gospel beforehand in the prophets. Just look at Isaiah 53, spoke about that. Even spoke about it um, earlier. Moses said there would be a prophet like me arise. Some of the Psalms speaks about it as well, how he's promised beforehand. And it came to Jesus, the Son, verse 3. He is the Son of God. As verse 3 says, he died for our sins. It assumes there. And he was declared to be the Son of God with power through his resurrection from the dead. When he raised from the dead, it was when God put his stamp of approval upon his Son, said everything he said was approved. He is the Son of God who has indeed borne our sins on his cross. And last week, we also looked at the call of Paul, which is our call as well, is to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. That is, calling people to faith in Jesus Christ. And then seeing that faith demonstrate itself in a life of obedience, because faith without works is dead. Faith without works is really false faith. And this morning, as we begin verse 8, we see Paul turning his focus to those in Rome. He has some kind words for them. He has some affectionate words for them. 
And as I am saying this morning, he had some loving words for them. My message this morning is entitled, Loving the Romans, because that's what Paul expresses in these verses, really his, his heartfelt attitude towards those in Rome. And first of all, we see how his heart was expressed in his thankfulness. He was thankful to God for the Romans. This comes right out of verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Isn't you are thankful for those whom you love? And Paul was thankful for those in Rome because he loved those in Rome. He expressed his thanks to God for them in, in verse 8. Now, this is nothing unusual for the Apostle Paul. If you're familiar at all with any of his letters he's written, I'm sure many, many of you are, most of you are, is that, that he always, always starts them with a, a word of thanks. In fact, he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Nine of them begin with an expressed thankfulness to God for those to whom he's writing. And it's not that he wasn't thankful for the others, like 1 Timothy. He doesn't mention it right there, the first part of the letter, just maybe varied up or changed. And Titus as well, but he, I know he was eminently thankful for both these men. But explicitly, nine times he mentions thanks at the beginning of the letter. And, and what he gives thanks for is varied. To the Corinthians, he was thankful for the grace that God had given them. To the Ephesians, he was thankful for their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. And just catch that. Faith in the Lord Jesus, love for all the saints. That's how Paul is often thankful. In Philippians, he's thankful to God for their partnership in the gospel. In Colossians, thankful for their faith in the Lord, their love for all the saints. In 1 Thessalonians, thankful for their faith in the Lord, love for the saints, and their hope in God. He was thankful in 2 Thessalonians because their faith was growing abundantly and their love was increasing. See this pattern of faith towards God and love towards other people. 2 Timothy, Paul said he was thankful to Timothy, thankful to God for Timothy, just remembering Timothy, just reflecting upon the missionary journeys they went together and the hardships that Timothy endured, the battles that he fought together with Paul. And Philemon, Paul was thankful to God for his love and his faith towards God. See, Paul is always thankful when people come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the thing that, that Paul teaches us is, that, is what drives most thankfulness beyond anything else. And, and notice even how he says it here in Romans. He says it this way always. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He doesn't say, I thank you. He always says, I thank God for you. It's not like, oh, I thank you for believing. No, I, I thank God that he's brought you to faith. Because I think the idea, God is the one to be thanked when anybody ever turns from their sin to trust in Jesus, who is our perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now, what's interesting here in Paul's letter to the Romans is he'd never been to Rome. His knowledge of the Romans was all secondhand. That's exactly what Paul is thankful for. He's thankful, if you look there in verse 8, that their faith is known. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is is proclaimed in all the world. In other words, their faith was made known. And though Paul never made it to Rome, Rome made it to Paul. Because news about the church had spread far and wide, proclaimed in all the world, is what he says. Now, of course, he doesn't mean it's been proclaimed everywhere to everybody. Um, because Paul's seeking to bring the gospel to a new region where Christ hasn't yet 
been named. In fact, that's a major purpose of Paul's writing in, in the first place. So again, you've seen this slide before that, that, that here Paul was in Corinth. And he was writing to those in Rome. But first, he had to go on to, to Jerusalem. And then in Jerusalem, he's going to go to Rome. He's going to connect with these believers, hoping to send them on to Spain. And you say, so why, why is he doing this? Why is he writing this letter? Well, here's a purpose. In chapter 15, verse 19 and 20. From Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum. You say, where is Illyricum? Well, there's Illyricum. And so all of this, right, this, this eastern part, he's, he's preached all around there. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my mission to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So when Paul says that the faith of the Roman church is proclaimed everywhere in the world, he says, well, it's not being proclaimed in Spain. What he really means is it's proclaimed all around the world. It's been all around this region in which I have been. We have heard of it, and it's reached the ears of Paul. Now, Paul has run into a few people from Rome, from the church in Rome, if you would look, you don't need to, but if you look in chapter 16, he mentions almost 30 people that he knows by name that he is greeting in this letter to Rome. Why? It's because these 30 people had met Paul someplace, and now they're in the church in Rome. He didn't know everybody, but he knew some. At this point, it's a great place even to stop for application. Just think, are you thankful, first of all, just for people who come to Christ? Are you thankful when people come to Christ? Are you thankful when your children come to Christ? Are you thankful when your husband or wife comes to Christ? And if you're not thankful, maybe try to talk to some people whose children or husbands or wives aren't in Christ. It'll give you a reason to, to thank God. But are you thankful for the way that God builds His kingdom, making His name known throughout the whole world? I just want you to stop and think about maybe a church that you know of that has been unusually blessed by God to take the name of Christ literally all around the world. I'll just, I'll just tell you the story of, of one church, mega church that's had a, a big impact upon my life. Here's a picture of Grace Community Church. It's where Yvonne and I met. She would still hold that John MacArthur is her pastor. It's Okay. MacArthur's been preaching there faithfully for 50 years almost. 47 years, I think. The number of people he's trained up and sent out from this church is just astonishing. Um, about 4,000 people every Sunday morning. And it's interesting that they haven't grown for about 25 years. They're always bringing new people in. New people are always going out. The Master Seminary is there, in which they're training men, in which I was a part of that to be linked in with this church. Avon's part of that number, being trained in the college group and, and gone out. SR is becoming a part of that number, so he's sending the Master's University, which is associated with the church. Hannah soon wants to be part of that number, wherever she is in, she's in the nursery. I think Steffi wants to be part of that number, too. That's to say nothing about Grace to You, which has such a worldwide reach that every moment of every day, 365 days a year, John MacArthur is being preached on, on the radio. And the reason I know about this church, because I was deeply impacted by that. But there, there are scores of other churches like that. Perhaps you are, can think of other churches that have made a huge impact in the world, whether that's Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. Great church, done great things with Desiring God Ministry. Maybe it's New York and Tim Keller. Maybe it's from other places. You just think about 
about churches that have done such a great, such a great good. Paul would say, I thank God because your faith is proclaimed around the world. I thank God for Grace Community Church. Uh, maybe there are ministries, there are ministries like this as well that, that are, are not necessarily churches, but even our parachurches that, that are doing the same thing. And maybe you can think of some ministries that have a, a worldwide impact just for great good all around. In, in the Weekly Word this, this week, I shared this picture. It's a, a map of the United States with a, a location of all of the, the women's prayer meetings that were this Friday. And, and I saw that picture uh, this past week and sent it out to you in the weekly. We're just stunned by, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to count those, I don't know, a lot, a thousand maybe, I don't know, 2,500, okay, that's good, so it's called thousands, 2,500, they're hoping for maybe 100,000 people, women all across the United States praying via telegram. And, and if you look closely, you might... You might just see Rockford's pin in there. Did you see it? You see it? There it is. Just that little speck of a little thing of what we're... Are you thankful for Revive Our Hearts? That's just having a big impact on the world. May God hear our prayers. See, there are some churches and ministries that God has chosen to bless in great ways. I, I've just, I just mentioned two. There are many, many others. And it's Answers in Genesis or whether it's some of the Gospel Coalition or Together for the Gospel, just with thousands of people having a great worldwide impact. And I'm sure that you are thinking of some that I haven't mentioned, and just really encourage you even to think of those. And when they come to mind, just as Paul was thankful for the church in Rome, because their faith was proclaimed throughout all the world, are you thankful to God for the places that God has chosen to uniquely bless to bring the Gospel all around the world? Paul would have been. Now, when he was thankful for the church at Rome, I don't think that Rome was a a mega church in any sense of the word. I think it would probably be smaller than we might think. But it was making an impact in the world in his days. And and I think perhaps one of the biggest reasons for that was because of the strategic location of Rome. Rome was the center of culture and commerce in that day, or, or even budding maybe to be that day. It was a it was, a, it was a blossoming city where things came and went into Rome. There was a saying that all roads lead to Rome. And if all lo- roads lead to Rome, what does that also mean? All roads lead out from Rome. And that's what happened with these people, these 30 people at least that Paul knew who were in Rome, impacted by the church somehow, and then had gone out and had touched Paul in some ways. And Paul saw it, rejoiced in it, and wanted to partner with them in the work. You remember Romans fifteen twenty four that he wanted to visit them so he might be helped by them on the way to Spain. That's why, why he wrote. He wants to be with them. He wants to be helped by them so he can continue his missionary endeavors. Do you thank God for the work that he's doing? Do you pray that God's work would continue? Are you praying the prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Is that your prayer? How about this? Are you praying that we, Rockford, might be such a church? Now, newsflash, Rockford's no Rome, okay? Uh, we are hardly the center of commerce and culture in the United States. We're not strategically located 
like Los Angeles or New York, where everything kind of comes in and goes out of those cities on our, on our coast. You know, and I'm not such a great leader, and we're not such a great people. But we can make some impact on the world. Steve Jobs used to say, right, make a dent in the universe. Maybe we can dent the kingdom in some ways. You, by God's grace, you sent me out to do pastoral training, leadership resources overseas in Nepal and India. And we're making an impact there. Not a great impact, but a small impact, an impact that helps. It was super encouraging. We saw the multiplication efforts of what those in India were doing. And we're a small part of that. But you know what? We can make an impact here in this city. We can go to our neighbors and friends and coworkers and talk about our faith in Christ. You know, I would be content if Paul would write Romans 1.8, right? Not to the church in Rome, but to the church in Rockford. And if it read like this, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the Rock Valley region. Okay? So I guess I'm Rock, Rockford, Loves Park, Winnebago, Beloit, Janesville, like all these, all these places. I'm, I'm, I don't know if Rock, that's the best way to say that. River Valley? I don't know. What's a better way? The what? The Rockford metro area? I don't know. We're including Byron in the two, just, just to make sure you know. But how's this going to happen? How's the name of Rock Valley Bible Church and our faith be known in the Rock Valley region? It's only going to happen if you're talking with others about your faith in Christ. It's the only way it's going to happen. It's the only way it happened with Rome. It didn't just happen. Oh, there's this church there. It didn't just happen. It happened because they were talking. They were talking with other people. This past week, Yvonne and I went to the county health department to follow up on an immunization that we took before our trip to India. We had a hepatitis A before we went, and uh, six months later, we needed like a, I'm not sure what's called, a booster shot. I don't know what's called, Yvonne, but some kind of, we needed another shot in order to do that, and so we did that this past week that we went in for a six-month booster, and we're in the room with the nurse, and she knew that we had gone on to another country because we got these immunizations. We also got that in typhoid, and so she just asked, how was your trip? I'm like, ding, 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 there's a chance. And so I spoke up. I said, it's wonderful. I said, listen, we're able to visit some people who are sun worshipers. That, that, that they had this flag that they raised over their home that was a picture of the sun, which says that we, in our house, we serve the sun. We worship the sun. We perform sacrifices to the sun. And that's what we hope for. But when they came to faith in Christ... That flag came down. And when they came to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, they worshipped Him. And we got to mix and mingle and meet some of these people. It was a wonderful trip. Okay? I didn't quite say it totally like that, but those were about my, my words. And so I just kind of waited. And do you remember what the nurse said, Yvonne? Yvonne, do you remember what the nurse said? I don't think she said anything. I think she just kind of continued on her work. But it went into her ear. And so I waited. Just kind of how to pursue or how to talk. And the conversation went into small talk. And I just tried to engage her. Like, oh, have you ever been to another land? You ever been outside the States? And she said no. And 
But then she made mention about how blessed we were to be in America. I mean, she understood that. And so I then took that and tried to segue in. Yeah, the things we saw in, in India were amazing and, and how they live and how you know, little they have to hope for. And I, I said it was great to go with Yvonne because we're training pastors and how to teach the Bible. And Yvonne came along to teach the pastor's wives. And, and you know how much interest she showed? But if our name... That the faith is going to be proclaimed in all the Rock Valley region, that's how it's got to happen. You just got to be talking with people about the realities of life and faith. And perhaps then they'd ask about church and you could get to Rock Valley Bible Church. But are we going to have the boldness to have such conversations if we're going to be like a church in Rome? Well, let's move on. Paul is loving the Romans. He's thankful to God, verse 8. Now he's wanting to come. Verses 9 through 13. Let me just read them there. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. See, Paul had a a desire. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to meet with the church in Rome, and And I just picked this up. Isn't this an expression of love? Don't you want to be with those whom you love? You know, SR is in California, and uh, he was only with us for a week uh, this summer, uh, past vacation. Whenever we FaceTime him, I mean, not always, but often, he says, oh, I miss you guys so much. I wish I was home. I wish I was there. And what's he saying? He's saying, that's code, that's college code language for I love you guys, Okay. I want to be there. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I want to be. I want to be with you Romans. That's an expression of love. So he really prayed about it. And he prayed about it often. Look at how verse 9 and 10 describe how often he's praying. In fact, even calling God as his witness. He says, God is my witness. And then he speaks about serving how, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son. He's talking about how, how God is here and, he, and I'm, I'm serving him completely with, with my heart and the gospel of his son. And this is the one I've given my life to. And God's witness, what? How? Um, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I mean, can you imagine what Paul's prayer life was like? He's talking about without ceasing praying. He's talking about mentioning the Romans always in his prayer. I mean, that's 1 Thessalonians 5.17, right? It says, pray always. And Paul himself says, I am praying always. You say, what is he praying for? He's praying, verse 10, that now, at last, by God's will... I may succeed in coming to you. You just even sense the urgency there. That, that now I can, because I haven't been able to, and, and at last maybe I can. 
And he submits that there, he says, by God's will, because he knew that it wasn't God's will for him to come to Rome yet. Because he says down in verse 13 that he has been prevented from coming. And if he's prevented from coming and he's trying to come, it's not God's will that he comes. Now, we don't know why he was prevented from coming. It may have been some unexplained circumstances, maybe some sickness that he had. He's ready to go, and then he got sick. Maybe, maybe some travel arrangement didn't work out, right? The, the boat that was coming to take him actually sprung a leak and needed some repair before it was seaworthy again. And by the time that they were ready to go, he had another commitment that he had to. Uh, maybe some financial arrangement fell through, like someone was going to pay his way, and that didn't, so he didn't have the money to do that. Maybe some other sort of delay didn't have time to get to... So maybe circumstances, but maybe Satan himself sought to thwart Paul's missionary efforts. Paul wrote of a similar desire in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2.17, But since we were torn away from you, brothers... And that, remember, Acts 17, when he was actually just kicked out of the city, right? Torn away. He couldn't go. He says, uh, We were torn away, brother, for a short time. In person, but not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. And I, Paul, again and again wanted to come to Thessalonica, but Satan hindered us. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. So maybe it's circumstances, maybe it was, right? Maybe circumstances, maybe Satan, but you know what? It was the Spirit of God. Maybe the Spirit of God working through circumstances. Maybe the Spirit of God working through Satan like God did with Job. We don't exactly know, but it is the Spirit of God who, who guides us in the will of God. Remember when Paul and Silas and Timothy were on their missionary journeys? They were seeking to go through the region of, of Phrygia and Galatia. But Acts 16.6 says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That's an amazing verse if you think about it. Is that the gospel God right, wants the gospel out? But he says, not here, not now. Think about the souls that need to be saved. And God said, not here, not now. It's the Spirit of God. And after that, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Acts 16, 7. Here's a good proverb for all of us to know, right? Man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, for whatever reason, the Lord was directing the steps of Paul away from Paul's plan. Paul planned to come repeatedly, and yet thus far, verse 13, he had been hindered from coming to them. And in Acts 16, if you read why the Holy Spirit prevented the word from going into Asia and the Spirit of Jesus prevented it, was because Paul had to get to Macedonia. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 16, 9 and 10. He, he had that dream of the Macedonian vision. He said he got to go. And so that's where he went. Paul tried to go to Rome, but was prevented and again, here's an application for us. There may be times in your life when you have, have well-designed plans, thought through, God-glorifying plans, gospel-spreading sort of plans, and yet they don't work because it's not God's will because God's will will be accomplished. And whether it's circumstances or Satan preventing you from carrying out their plan, listen, you need to rest that ultimately is the Spirit of God who is directing you. Because we may, a man may plan his way about everything that we're going to do, but ultimately it's God who directs the steps that we take. And we need to trust in that. We need to, to rest in that. 
just know that God knows your heart. God knows your plans. In fact, far better than what you know. A man's ways are pure in his own sight, but the Lord weighs his motives. So God is weigh, you've got your plans. He's weighing your motives. He's directing your steps according to what is, was best. And if it doesn't take place for some reason, it's not taking place. And maybe you'll never know, like Job, why it never took place. I just encourage you to, to act like Paul. Just keep praying. Just keep asking. A, uh, a scene in the movie um, Finding Nemo comes to mind where that fun fish Dory is kind of swimming around, right? And she says this mantra, just keep, what she say? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. I don't even know where she's going. She, she doesn't know where she's going, right? Because she forgot, I think. So she's just going along, going along, just keep swimming. And I just say, you may not know totally where you, I just say, just keep praying. Just keep praying. Just keep asking. Just keep asking. And perhaps at long last, like Paul, you may succeed in your plans. And you may actually come to Rome. You say, why did Paul want to come to Rome? Well, verse 11 and 12 tell us why. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul's coming to Rome was for a spiritual reason. Oh, he wanted a physical reason as well, to be helped on to go to Spain as he needed the physical resources to help. But but primarily here, it's a, a spiritual reason. He wanted to give them grace. Look again, verse 11. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual grace, is literally how it is, a charisma to strengthen you. Paul wanted to be the means of grace in the lives of the Romans. You ever had a gift that you just, you just love? To, to give to somebody and you just can't wait to give it. Say it's Christmas morning and you have some kind of gift that you're going to give to your children and you just can't wait until they open it up. Right? You got that gift sometimes, Stephanie, when you bought David his favorite Lego set that he wants to get, a big Lego set, and you say, I want to give this. Why? Because Stephanie wants to make David happy. And so Paul wants to bless those in Rome by being the means of grace in their lives. And presumably, he's going to give this grace through his words. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such, a word, such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What Paul is saying here is, is don't, don't use corrupting, bad, tearing down talk. Use the good, building up, edifying talk. And as you do that, what's it going to do? It's going to give grace to those who hear. And I think that's what Paul was seeking to do. He's seeking to give grace to those who hear. By building them up, encouraging them, strengthening them. And, and then that's what he says also in, in verse 12. It's almost the same. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged. And encouraged, just, just, just helped and build up and strengthened there by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wanted to encourage those in Rome. But he also realized that such encouragement isn't just a one-way street. He knew that he would be encouraged by his visit to Rome. As much as you give out, you also get back. That's why Jesus says, more blessed to give than to receive. You give, but you're the one that gets the greater blessing. 
And Paul wanted to go to Rome so bad because he wanted to encourage them. And he knew that he'd get encouragement from them. And who doesn't want to be encouraged? Who doesn't want to be built up? Who doesn't want grace? And I just say that's what church ought to be. We ought to assemble for mutual encouragement. We speak truths in one another's lives and build one another up with words rather than tearing down and having corrupting talk come out of our mouths. Well, Paul gives another purpose for his desire to calm here in verse 13 when he says, um, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. Right? I've intended to come to you. I've, I've tried. Thus far, I've been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, reaping a harvest, that means just bringing in fruit. Now, that may be something like um, um, attitude fruit from the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe a, I got some fruit in here that's going to be produced. Maybe that's some action fruit of, of, of bringing people to do some things. Or maybe it's saving fruit where people come to Christ. I think that's probably the, the primary reference there where Paul's envisioning this harvest of souls where people in Rome would hear the gospel and be saved. Remember at this time, the, the church is just expanding, exploding like crazy, like it is in Nepal and India, where the, where the gospel is preached and people are coming to Christ in, in droves because they don't have anywhere else to turn. Because we in America have everything we need. That's why the nurse and others, when I'm speaking about Jesus, have about this much interest in the gospel because they've got it all. They don't need anything else. But in Rome, this is a time of flourishing gospel, and he wanted to, to reap some harvest. And so, that leads us really to the last point. Paul's loving the Romans. He's thankful to God for them. You're thankful for what you love. He's loving the Romans because he wanted to come and be with those he loved. He's also eager to preach. This is the most loving thing you can do to lost people, is to preach the gospel to them. In kindness, winsomeness, as Jesus did. Eager to preach. That's what verses 14 and 15 say. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul says he has an obligation to fulfill. It's an obligation to the Greeks. It's an obligation to the barbarians. It's an obligation to the wise. It's an obligation to the foolish. That is, it's an obligation to everyone, whether it be civilized Greeks of the Areopagus and the wise of Athens, or whether it be the barbarians who live in the slums, who can't read or write. Paul says, I'm, I'm obligated to the educated, the uneducated. You span the spectrum to the wise and to the foolish, whether they're civilized, whether they're intelligent, or whether they're not. I am under obligation to preach the gospel to everyone. It's interesting how the the King James translates this word. It says, I'm a debtor, both the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Just that word debtor, right? You you, you come into debt to someone when when you have borrowed money from them, right? So I have have taken something, whatever. Uh, I need need some money and Dirk loans me $1,000. Okay, thank you. I'm a debtor to Dirk for $1,000 because he has done something to me. So you say, okay, so if he is a debtor, if he does have an obligation, if you have an obligation to someone, it's because there's whatever, some kind of promise. And, and you say, well, what kind of obligation does he have to the, to the Greeks and to the barbarians? Like, what kind of obligation does he have to the wise and to the foolish? 
So what kind of debt does he have to pay? Does he have to pay the debt to God? Well, he owes everything to God, but we can never pay back a debt that we owe to God. And we ought never to try to pay back the debt that we owe to God. Because that's then just working our way to God. But here's what I think he means. I'm, I'm, I'm a debtor. I have such an obligation. It's because the, the grace that Paul has received in the gospel is so great. The news is so good. He's got to share it. He's got a debt to everybody. He was saved by grace. They can be saved by grace too. He's got an obligation to get that message out. And Paul's obligation, listen, it's our obligation as well. Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations. Making disciples begins with preaching the gospel, with sharing with others about Jesus. I tell you, I was so encouraged this week by a chance encounter that I had. I, uh, I went to, to Beefaroo this week because I had some of these coupons. Okay, these have been sitting on the, la- on the back counter. And um, these are buy one, get one free sandwich at Beefaroo. If you like Beefaroo, this is a, makes it reasonably cost. And there are, I don't know, maybe 20 of them left out there. Um, Got to use it by September 30th if you want that. Thank you, Krauses, for making those available. Um, so I was meeting with some youth pastors in town. So we're planning a, a retreat and uh, hoping to have four churches involved with us this winter retreat in January. And um, had a wonderful time talking with them. And then I, I got up to go. And as I was kind of putting things away, I, I looked and I, I saw someone I knew. And anyone recognize who that is? Test, test time. If you can't see it, that's okay. <coughs> Does someone know who it is? Philip. Phil and Karen, that's your son. I, he was at Beefaroo at the same time. And so who, who's he with? Who are those guys, you know? Mormons, right? Who else dresses like that with ties? I initially saw that, and, and uh, Philip is sitting there, and I'm like, are those Mormons? No, they're not Mormons. He's talking with some kind of high-power business meeting like, like Phil will be involved in. And, and then uh, as I went over, I said, sure enough, Elder whatever, Elder Jose and Elder Gus and whatever, they had their, their things there. So these are, these are Mormons. And uh, um, Phil was talking to these guys. And um, they had... Bible's out, and here Philip is just engaging these guys with the gospel. And uh, I had a chance to say hello to these guys. I, I shook their hands, um, and I, I heard a bit about what they talked about because Phil kind of introduced things, and they were talking about First Peter 3, talking about Jesus was um, put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamations to the Spirit now in prison. And, of course, the Mormon theology, a uh, key tenet of the Mormon doctrine, says that even after you die, there's a chance to be saved. And so that's where that verse is. I commented, that's well, that's one of the most difficult verses in all the Bible to understand. I think it means that just you put to death, you may, um, absent of the body is present with the Lord, you're dead in the body, you're alive in the spirit. And he went, I think it's best, he proclaimed victory to those in the grave is what I think he did to the spirits who are disobedient. But anyway, I so wanted to sit down and engage these Mormons in evangelistic conversation. But I wanted to sense, just feel, be sensitive to Phil's efforts as well. I mean, I knew if I sat down, I'd change the whole dynamics of what was happening there. And oh, like Phil's called in this pastor. And, and you know, I sensed that he was doing very well without me. And so he wasn't also saying, hey, Steve, why don't you join us? 
he wasn't giving me the, the right eye of winking fellowship, like come. And so I just sensed that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to let him go because I think he's doing fine. He's fully capable of talking to these guys. And so I left. Before I left, I'm behind this pillar and I, I took my phone, you know, and I snuck out and I took a picture. <laughs> I took the picture, not to share with you today, but to share with Phil, because I wanted to encourage Phil that his son was doing this, because I was a, it was a great encouragement to me. And first time I took the picture, this guy walked by, and I got the picture. And <laughs> so I had to take it. I, was like, I took it again, and so I got him. But that's a pretty good picture, I think. Look, see, the, the guys aren't looking at me, and, and Phil is there waxing eloquent and... Um, I, I laughed and prayed. I prayed all the way home for Phil and just his conversation with these guys. And uh, later I found out the backstory because I, I talked with, uh, didn't talk with Phil, but talked with Phil. Talk, yeah. And um, <laughs> apparently what happened is these guys had come by and been talking to Philip's wife, Kelly. And uh, Kelly said, you just need to talk with my husband. And Phil then got in contact with him. I'm not sure. He says, yeah, I'd be glad to have a conversation with you, but let, let's do it in a public place. And so they chose Bifuru on Thursday. Maybe, maybe they had one of these coupons. I'm not exactly sure, but you've got to use it before September 30th. But, but here's what I was encouraged about this. You know what? Philip is not a pastor. Okay? He is like all of you. He has no formal theological education other than what he's got from church and sermons and MP3s and books and pastor's counseling and things of that nature. Just his all, all his own pursuits. He's done his own work to, to study, but he's doing the work that all of us are called to do. He's preaching the gospel. And, and you know, as I, as I thought about this this logo that we're going to just continue to pound. Um, I, I, I told Yvonne, what I don't want in this design, eager to preach the gospel, I said, I don't want a pulpit and a whatever, some kind of minister with some kind of collar there because lest you think that eager to preach the gospel simply means that someone stands up in church for an hour on Sunday morning, stands behind some sacred desk and just preaches. I wanted to catch, I said initially, okay, Yvonne, give me a, eager to preach the gospel, just show me a mouth. And, and that didn't work very well. I feel like I said, okay, so show me two guys at a coffee shop. And that didn't work very well either. But she had her idea, so here, here it was, eager to preach the gospel. What I, what I love about this graphic is these are just normal people, and you, you see a guy in the wheelchair over here. Grant, that's you. I got you. I got you over here in the wheelchair. And uh, even there's some little kids over here. And just kind of a crowd. You're just kind of talking with people. We just need to, need to be speaking with people about Jesus. We need to be telling them about the gospel. Can you tell the gospel? Can you say the gospel? If you have just a short time... Can you, just, can you share that? Can you just share truth like I've been trying to do these last couple of weeks of just beginning to, to get a seed of, of things? Maybe from Romans. I mean, like if you just one verse to share the gospel, Romans 6.23, which I'm sure you're, many of you are familiar with. Romans 6.23, who knows it? Quick, Bible quiz. Yes, go ahead, John. Wonderful. 
The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Right? What you have earned by your life and your sin is death. But the good news is this. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a gift that you simply need to receive and believe in him. Do you do that? I mean, there, I mean that's 20-second gospel presentation. Maybe you can memorize that. Let's talk about something. Here, here, here's a question. Maybe with people at work, ask them. This is what I did when I was in the work field. I said, how was your weekend? And they say, good. You say, what'd you do? And they ask, and they answer that question. And you keep asking, and you keep asking. And you know what's going to come after you hear and listen for a while? They're going to say, how was your weekend? And you're going to say, it was wonderful. I did this on Saturday, but on Sunday, went to church, had a great time. My pastor's just preaching through the book of Romans, just verse by verse. And we're learning all about the gospel and how we need to speak it forth. That the wages of sin is death and we deserve to die. But Jesus Christ, we believe in him. We have eternal life. That, my weekend was great. And if there's interest, you go on. And there's no interest, you just let it go. I just encourage you to be people who are, are talking like that so that our faith might be made known throughout all of the Rock Valley region. Let me just close with one thought from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I did say that this is uh, an expression of love, is to preach the gospel. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died And he died for all that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. In other words, right? We believe that that Christ died for our sins. And and our love compels us to be ambassadors for Christ and tell others of that. That he died for me. What more can I do but to speak his glory? Realize that you are indebted to those who are around you. To those who don't believe the gospel, those who don't know the gospel. So let's pray. Lord, again, I pray that here this book of Romans might stir us. God might stir us to the gospel. God might stir us to, to believe it, to know it. God, that it might come forth and bubble out of our mouth. Father, help us even this week. I, I pray for myself that you give me opportunities this week to, to speak the gospel to people who haven't heard it before. And I would pray that you would spark interest. Pray you'd spark courage with me. Pray you'd give other opportunities of those here in this church this week to speak with those who aren't believing. God, just telling them again of where our hope rests and where it lies. It lies not in ourselves, not in our righteousness, not in our own strength, but it lies in you the author and giver of life, God, both physical life and eternal spiritual life. I pray, Lord, that we would know the joy of Christ and that we would seek out of love to be sharing that with others. God, we give this day to you, give this message to you in Jesus' name. Amen.